Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Our, our chapel today is going to discuss the most secularized part of the day that sometimes rarely shows up in a significant way in our churches. That is the time from 9 to 5, from Monday to Friday. Our guest is Steve Ramsour. Steve, I'm going to let you uh, tell people what you do, because you're there in San Antonio. You're not with us. So what are you doing in San Antonio from 9 to 5, five days a week? Hi, Daryl. Good to see you again. I am the a divisional president of a Fortune 500 company. I have about 4,000 souls that I look after every day, manage about a billion and a half dollars in, in revenue. That's what I do during the day. Um, usually from 5 a.m. until 7 a.m. I'm a Dallas Seminary student. I'm <laughs> taking two classes right now. And uh, then I'm also a husband, 30 years with Angie. have three kids. I think you've met Joshua and, and Grace and and Riley, that's what I do. Okay. And we're here to kind of tell your story about what is a what is a busy guy like you who's managing 4,000 people? I can't even, I mean, that that gives me my hairline. Um, uh, what is a busy person like me who manages 4,000 people a day? Uh, how did you end up at Dallas Seminary? And tell us a little bit about your story about the way you see faith and work mixing together. Sure, I think I need to. The big picture on this is I was saved in the workplace uh, 29 years ago, and I'm being saved <laughs> um, in the workplace. Um, I, I was I worked for a company out of undergrad, and uh, one of the men that that I worked with, Mark Kreiswig, asked me a question one day. He said, "Would you like to hear what the Bible has to say about a certain subject?" And that led to about six months of him meeting me at, at lunches. We brown bagged it, and the Lord was pleased to uh, save my miserable soul. Hmm. And I've been in the workplace ever ever since. And so, I guess my my experience really grounds me in the workplace. But the I think the key takeaway is that uh, I was discipled by this gentleman and others, and have had a voracious appetite for the Word of God. The first book he gave me to read was John Owen's Death of Death and the Death of Christ. I didn't know young Christians were supposed to read that. I started reading that and <laughs> I started working on the on the, on the the works of B.B. Warfield and Calvin's Institute. So I just had an appetite for theology and for the Bible, but I was kind of out of place. There wasn't really a category for me in the church. I was, uh, for the first five years, my wife and I were part of a church plant bivocationally in Seattle. We had a small congregation up there. They couldn't afford to pay either one of the either one of us. <laughs> so we were bivocational, teaching, preaching, and working during the week uh, during that secular nine to five time period. But I, I guess the, the the feeling from my perspective, as someone who is in love with the Lord Jesus Christ, who has a passion for the Word of God, a hunger for evangelism and discipleship. As there's not really a category for me in the church, um, because you tell people that in the church, they say, well, you need to be in ministry, right? You need to go to, and I did some short-term mission work, but you need to be in the ministry. You know, you have that kind of passion. But there's not really a category for me in the workplace either, because there's such a passion for um, the things I listed earlier. So you kind of feel a bit out of place 
maybe broken or disconnected. Home homeless would be the best way to describe it, mm-hmm. because you walk into church on Sunday morning and uh, it's it's you're entering into a world where they don't really have a category, if you will, for someone who's working nine to five. Um, there's a disconnect. So, there, up until about 28 years ago. So, I mean, I was about two years ago. So, uh, we'll talk about that in just a second. So, the point you're making here is, is that your nine to five day um, wasn't getting addressed in a significant way to help you negotiate the life that you were living there by much of what you were hearing from the pulpit. There was a a silence. It was it was absent. It was there wasn't a cat. Best way I can describe it, Daryl, is there wasn't a category. Yeah, because I, I when I think about the preaching that I hear on a regular basis, we can talk about our family, we can talk about our neighborhoods, we can talk about our schools, we can talk about the ministries that happen in our churches. There are a variety of slots that tend to get addressed, mm-hmm. but helping people think through what they are doing from nine to five and why God has them there. In fact, that's the bulk of the population. Spending yeah. where they spend the bulk of their time, yeah. uh, to leave that unaddressed is to like leave this hole in life that that people are living in the midst of, and they're asking as good disciples as I'm assuming you were, how do how do I negotiate this part of my life? And what they're getting in response is, as you described it, silence. Silence and and really a sense of of homelessness. There, there, there wasn't a, a place where within the context of the church, and I love, I love the church, I'll make that very clear, but within the context of the church, an understanding that as a, a leader, I have a megachurch, right, I have 4,000 souls I look after, as a leader, during the course of the week, I'm dealing with exactly the same things my pastor's dealing with. Um, the gentleman who offices two doors down from me, and you know, I think you know this, Daryl, mm-hmm. Lost his his son, seventeen years old, a month ago. Um, you and I are addressing a loss in the family for a mutual coworker. Uh, last night, I received a text from a, a lady that I work with in Chicago, asking for some scripture references to encourage someone that she works with there in Chicago, dealing with uh, marriage issues, divorce issues, all kinds of the same things a pastor is dealing with day to day. Literally, I am dealing with in the context of of the work as a leader in the workplace. But when I step into the church, what you hear about is how to be a good husband, a good father, and then how to serve within the church. And so we celebrate the the missionary who goes out or the uh, nursery person who works in the nursery. We, we, we anoint them and send them out. But, you know, I've never seen anyone anoint a, a plumber going out into the work world. And when you, when your toilet stopped up, you need a plumber, not a pastor. <laughs> I, I think that's something we can all theologically agree with. <laughs> um, uh, okay, so so let's talk. Let's come to about two years ago, uh, and I want you to tell the story that you told me uh, when we first met, which is um, you were you were contemplating leaving the workplace and coming into ministry because of your passion for the Lord, and basically he stopped you. What happened? I, <laughs> so what happened was I. I I found these podcasts on the table about the about biblical theology of work, and I've listened to every one of them at least twice, some two or three times, and I began to research the scriptures, mainly Genesis chapter 1 and 2, and began to see that there is a theology of work that works. 
meaning a theology of work that I can apply every day in my, where I spend 50, 60 hours a week that has a significant impact um, on the kingdom of God. And I sat down with, with Dr. Bailey in his office, just to have that conversation with him and said, I want my life to mean something. You know, I want there to be some significance. And he looked at me and he said, Steve, your life has meaning. What you are doing at work has meaning. And what we need are more professionals who minister. Hmm. And so that's why I'm taking classes and doing these different types of things so that I can bring this biblical, this, this theology of work into a pagan culture. We're living between the cross and the coming. And during that, that interval, um, make a difference. So, so if I can get this right, you were, you were toying with leaving. You listen to these podcasts. I'm appreciating the advertising that we're getting, uh, and taking advantage of it. Uh, and, uh, and you heard a message, and that message was more than you can be an evangelist at work. A <laughs> message, the message brought me to tears. Hmm. It, it was like coming home. I, I heard that the gifting that God, I love my job. That's one of the challenges that I face because you either, if you are going to hear about work at all from the pulpit, you're going to hear one of three messages. Either there's, there's deafening silence Message number two is that you're giving too much time to work and neglecting your family and church and what else, what, what really matters. Or message number three is that if you enjoy your work, that's really idolatry. Hmm. And what I heard from the, the table and what I hear integrated into the, the classes at Dallas Seminary the last two and a half years is no, uh, A, God is a worker. That's what Genesis 2 um, tells us. And that God has gifted us in a certain way that we can express that image of God in the mission he's called us to, where he's called us, uh, through our work. And my work intrinsically has value. And that was a, a seismic shift in my understanding of my mission in the workplace. There are also evangelism I officiated a wedding six weeks ago with a man who uh, in Seattle who came to Christ 27 years ago on the sixth floor of my parking garage in Seattle, Washington. I discipled him long distance for five years. I, I was with his son who came to Christ through that. His two daughters come to Christ through that. So there's evangelism that comes out of that, but that's not why I go to work. I go to work because I'm called to image God. Uh, his mission, think Genesis 1, 26 through 28, Genesis chapter 2, 7, 2, 8, 2, 15, etc., and as I do my work, I am carrying out God's first great commission. And that great commission is the creation mandate that says that we're supposed to manage the earth well and apply our image of God in such a way that the garden is well taken care of that God has placed us in. Yes, the oikonomia, that's, that's, what, we're, that's what we're about. And then when, 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 we're, when you... Evangelism today, and this goes back to what Dr. Bailey prayed, evangelism today in the marketplace is by invitation. And what I mean by that is when you genuinely love people, when you work with them day to day, you get to know them, issues surface, opportunities surface. And, and out of that invitation comes a very natural opportunity to share and love them with the gospel. 
Okay. Um, we've got, uh, I mean, need to remind the students of something. We've got microphones set up in the aisle. So if you have a question that comes to mind, step up to the microphones and in a few minutes we'll be taking those questions. Um, and go ahead and step up uh, whenever you're ready with a question so I know that you ha have one. Uh, Steve, let me ask you this question. Uh, I know that you're working closely with your pastor to um, address the silence that you felt in the church. Mm -hmm. Um, what are you What are you doing with the pastor, and how are you encouraging him about about this time of day, and how he addresses it from the pulpit? Yeah, we sat, He and I sat down, give or take, about a year ago, and we had this conversation at a restaurant not far from my office about a theology of work and about my experience. And his response to me was, "I need to repent." Hmm. And and now I hear, now you begin to hear. And so he said, would you be willing to preach? So last uh, Labor Day, I preached two two back-to-back two -back Sundays. One was your work matters to God. Um, and the second one is your work matters to the gospel. And now we're hearing more and more from the pulpit. Um, there's more and more around discipleship. When I meet with, with him um, or other pastoral staff, I ask them, invite them to come into my office. I introduce them around. This is my pastor. Um, introduce them around to the people that I work with so they can see and feel my work environment. Because I'm not sure, you know, think about the Apostle Paul, who was a, a fairly good evangelist. Um, <laughs> um, you know, he, he was bivocational, and his first epistle, 1 Thessalonians, you know, you find in, in all five chapters, he's talking about work. He worked hard among us, sort of model him. And he understood because he was in the marketplace, and then he would go to the Hall of Tyrannus, or he would go and he would. He would preach, but he was constantly integrated into the world of work. And I think that we, you don't hear much about that model. Um, so that's that's kind of the conversation with the pastor. It's I, I view it as a partnership, Daryl. Right. So it's integrated and seamless from Sunday to Monday, and from Monday and from Friday to Sunday, to where he can move easily into my world and I can move easily into his world. And uh, it's exciting. So, um, so help us with the with the secular sacred divide a little bit. Um, you know, because I tend to think that what we do is we take the workplace and we say the, the message that often that I hear or indirectly, they're maybe not stated this way, is what you do on Sunday in the church, in the church walls, or in the ministries of outreach, or in the evangelism programs that happen. That really matters. And everything else that you do is is gathering energy for that stuff. Right. Okay. And I take it you're saying something else to us, something different. I'm saying that if you can disintegrate the Sunday, Monday, Monday, Sunday by a barrier of secular sacred, and you and you disintegrate your work from your Christian life, you can also disintegrate your sex, sex life, you can disintegrate your finances, you can disintegrate all every aspect of your life. And I don't see that in the gospel. I think the incarnation, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Jesus, of his 33 years, 16 or 18 years, maybe you're the New Testament expert, was spent as a craftsman, as a carpenter. He, all of his apostles were called from vocation, called out of work backgrounds. They knew what it was to put in a full day of work. And I just I don't see that disintegration in the gospel, and I think it comes back to an integrated understanding of 
the atonement. The atonement is more than just Jesus and me. The atonement is cosmic in scope. It is universal. And I think that our, our limited understanding of, of that secular sacred divide is dangerous. Hmm. Um, one more question, and then we've got a student who's going to ask a question, and it's this. So um, what, uh, what advice would you give to pastors, not about how they handle the pulpit, but how they handle their business people? What do they need to do to get to know their business people better and to understand the nine to five hour better? I mean, I'll be honest, I've never, I've never worked significantly in the workplace other than the summer jobs I did when I was in college. And so I don't know in many ways what your world is like. And so how, how can I, as a theologian or a pastor, bridge that gap in, in such a way that I end up being a help to you? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm blessed to have a pastor who is willing to invest the time and ask the questions. He, he genuinely wants to know the work that I do, how that work affects the community around. For me, it's around the, around the world, mm-hmm. given the work that I do and spending time with me within the context of work. I think what would be very healthy, Daryl, is if my pastor would spend, say, a half a day with me or the pastoral staff and walk through my day with me, maybe once a quarter or something like that, because that way he has some context for application and understanding what that looks like in real time. Yeah, as you know, Tommy Nelson, Tommy Nelson of Kansas City, pastors a church, and what he's done to do this is he regularly visits a variety of people in his congregation uh, in the way you just talked about, spending time with them, where they work, gets to meet the people mm-hmm. that they're interacting with. When his, uh, when his contacts are praying for a colleague, in many cases, he knows the mm-hmm. person they're praying for. He's met them. Uh, yeah. that kind of thing. And in the midst of that networking, he has come to dis- to understand the variety of vocations that are sitting in his a- audience on a Sunday and the worlds that they live in that he is able then to address. Is that the kind of thing that you're talking about? Precisely. And after I preached the second sermon, Labor Day, uh, a young man came up to me and uh, he he has a lawn business, but he went to Southwestern Seminary, he has, but he has a lawn business. And he said, he said, I get all these great emails and correspondence on, on social media about what my friends are doing in the mission field and the pastor, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But he said to hear this from the pulpit, that what I do, taking care of lawns, uh, has significance within the kingdom. He said, let me tell you a story. I'll make this 30 seconds. He's been mowing this one elderly gentleman's lawn who's housebound for about two years. He mows it on Thursday, shares a glass of tea with him, and he won't go near the church. And one Thursday afternoon after he mowed his lawn, sitting down there with a glass of tea, the subject of the gospel came up. And this young man looked at him and he said, what I'm about to tell you is going to change our relationship, but I want to tell you about Jesus Christ. And he shared Christ with that man through the two years worth of excellent work that he had been doing. And he had an opportunity that none of the pastors would have to reach that man for Christ. Hmm. Okay, we've got a student question here. So uh, to the mic. Hi, I'm, I'm a physician from Brazil, and over there my experience in, in the workforce was that Brazilians didn't have a work ethics, so when a, a brother in Christ knew that I was a Christian, there were some abuses in terms of, oh, you're not fire me, so let I always lack something, uh-huh. and use Xerox machines, 
for worship, music, and that kind of stuff. Uh, in America, you have a much stronger work ethics, so Max Weber uh, published about that. <laughs> and how do you suggest the international community at DTS to teach about that and preach about that, the work ethics and how all work can glorify Christ? And on a second aspect, also in this international aspect, how Christians in the workforce can um, influence their companies to go to areas that are poor, that are segregated, that are uh, lack of the two-thirds of the world that live under $2 a day. Hmm. God is a genius storyteller, and the evidence of this is threaded throughout Scripture. In Christianity Today's new show, Holy Curiosity, with me, Kat Armstrong, we explore storied connections threaded throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. Our first miniseries, Connecting Dinah and the Woman at the Well, welcomes experts like Drs. Tim Mackey and Diane Landberg to give us insight and context into the physical location and meaning of these two stories. These stories will spark holy curiosity in your own faith, because once you see these connections, you can't unsee them. God wastes no person, place, or thing. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Kat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform. Daryl, do you want to start on the first one? I have some ideas. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, 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 the key thing here is um, having a church, one, one, that is aware of what a theology of work is and teaches it from the pulpit, teaches the people in their church about a work ethic. The work ethic that you might get if you just go outside might be, this isn't always the case, but might be, we're here, or business, we're here to earn money, you're here to earn a job, and you know that, and so please help us as much as you can. You know that, that isn't going to take you very far. There are other companies, and um, Steve can certainly speak to this, whose approach to business isn't just the exchange that happens between the business, the product, and the customer, but in fact is asking the, a profound question about we serve, we serve people in this area. How do we serve best? Mm -hmm. We have people working for us in this area. How do we unleash their talents to work for us mm -hmm. best? That's a different kind of question. It's a different layer of discussion. And what it does is it gives people value in their work. In the midst of giving them value in their work, you get a better work ethic. People understand why they're there other than to merely be a piece in a cog. And so, um, uh, and, and that means not only do business people have to understand that, but theologians who teach in these areas have to understand that and communicate that theological affirmation uh, to the people that they're teaching and preaching to. So that's, that's my theological answer, Steve, but I'm handing it off now to a business person to okay. fill in the gaps. Well, my mind is, is simple. And I, I look at my theology of work really around three areas. The first is calling. The second is my commission. And the third is community. And I genuinely believe that God has gifted me in certain areas around business. And I have a calling just as much to business as I did when I was a bivocational pastor in Seattle for five years. Uh, I, I come to work with a, a sense of purpose, something larger than myself, um, so that the calling piece of that, um, the commission 
piece of that is to bear God's image in the fact that he's given me a mind to know him, a heart to love him, a will to obey him. But he's also given me a mission to go out into his creation and cultivate that. That's the commission piece of it. And the third piece, I do that in community. And I think this gets to your second question. And a third, yeah, second question. I'm blessed in that I travel globally and we do great projects. We were, we were the project manager on the World Trade Center redevelopment. We did the redevelopment of the Empire State Building, took billions of tons of uh, greenhouse gases out of the environment. We do redevelopment in communities. So that's very hands-on for us. It's very real. It's tangible. It's tactile for us. But that we do that in the context of community. And the workplace sets me in a community, I think of Acts chapter 17, that's unique and distinct for me. Daryl's not in this community. My pastor's not in this community. I'm in this community with a clear calling, a clear commission, and it's just, it's exciting. Hmm. Okay, we've got another student question over here. Hello. Um, so after you teach about the theology of work, there's going to be some people that are bound to feel convicted or guilty because some of them already have like a certain reputation, for example, in their workplace being like hot-tempered or sometimes even being vulgar. Um, how do you, uh, is there a way to encourage them to uh, still teach the gospel in their workplaces? And even for ourselves, like some of us will have our own flaws, like, you know, like the ones I mentioned. Um, how do you go about, um, go about dealing with these issues as you're sharing the gospel in the workplace? Hmm. You want me to? I, uh, um, I do have a, something. I'll, I'll start off, Steve, since you're. Um, since I think that may be what you're asking. The idea that we share the gospel in the workplace by only when we talk about the gospel is misleading. Okay? We actually share the gospel in the workplace by how we do our work, um, by the credibility that we build for ourselves as a person and as a bearer of the image of God and as a representative of Christ in the workplace. Before I ever go to share the gospel, that person, particularly if they know I'm a Christian, is probably watching to see who I am and what I'm about. And in the midst of how I do my work, I actually lay the groundwork for anything that I'm going to do or say when I actually get to the topic of the gospel. And I think many people don't even think about that when they're thinking about how they do their work. Steve? Agreed. I'm, first of all, I'm the most flawed person in the room right now. <laughs> um, so I come with my, my flaws and, and, and sins into the workplace. So first, I would say it starts with humility. And it's what Paul says, consider others to be better than yourselves. Second, it starts with an, an idea and an attitude of servant leadership. It's uh, stooping down. I think that any organization is measured by how they treat the least in that organization. But I, but I think Paul deals with that in First in Thessalonians exhaustively, where he talks about the fact that he worked night and day not to be a burden, while we preached the gospel of God to you. So here's Paul. He was in Thessalonica 51, 52. He, he, he had a trade, he's a tent maker. Um, he's teaching them eschatology, and he is working full time. And he knows this is a nascent church. He doesn't want to be a burden to them. And so Paul takes that burden, 
by working, he's bivocational, and then he preaches the gospel. I think it's a perfect mix. And he, say, he says, to get to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 8, he says, I want you to model this. I want you to model this in your work ethic, and then the proclamation of the gospel is an outcome. If you enter the workplace with an objective of proselytizing, people will see that as disingenuine. Like I said earlier, the gospel in the workplace is by invitation, and it comes through love and, and through serving others and putting them above yourself. All right, next question. Yeah, question for both of you. My name is Scott. I was a corporate guy for 15 years. Uh, six years ago, my church asked me to come on staff. So I've been a full-time pastor for six years, love my job, love the church. But I've actually wrestled with, was I making a bigger impact as a corporate guy? You know, managing the people that I manage. Am I less effective here in the church? Was I more effective there? So either of you have advice or counsel on how to work. One's not better than the other, but how do we go about deciding uh, which, how we're going to make a more effective contribution to the This kingdom? question actually allows Steve yeah. to fill in a gap in the story that, we, that he hasn't told yet, and that is you actually were wrestling with leaving your job and coming to seminary to do full-time ministry. Why don't you take people through your process in, in your decision-making and in, in you, where you ended up? Sure. So the, I mean, I wrestled with this for 27. I, the gentleman's name was Scott. Mm. Who's asking the question? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So yeah. So I, okay, I, I wrestled with that for years. Um, I took one seminary class, Daryl, uh, from J.I. Packer in uh, Seattle. Took pneumatology from him. Just fell in love with it because of family and kids. Just it didn't happen, but that was gnawing and kind of nagging. It would be the thing I would think about when I woke up at three o'clock in the morning. Am I Am I going against God's calling to be in the ministry full-time? That was the nagging question. And my wife, who's this stable uh, partner of mine, would say, okay, let's step back and take a look at what's happened in, in the workplace, right? So Matt has come to Christ, that ministry, right? John, Joe, etc their families you're discipling these men this is happening god has given you skill sets in the business world and these other people are coming to christ you know through this through this ministry and you probably should continue doing what you're doing 3 years ago she finally got sick and tired of me and she said you keep talking about seminary just go and so that's when I felt like that. And signed, uh, that's what she said. She said, I'm not talking about this anymore. If you're going to go, go. I think we'll use and, that as uh, an advertisement for future students. <laughs> but what was beautiful about it, though, Daryl, is I expected to make that decision to go back, maybe take the route that Scott is taking, but because of the integrated theology and work inside of the classes, I mean, Dr. Kreider made the comment in his, in his ST101 class, I can talk about it if you want me to, but it's integrated into the curriculum, I saw, well, wait a minute. Maybe I can do both. Maybe I can actually be in the workplace serving the Lord, and and maybe this is exactly where he, he has called me. So I wrestled through that decision. What I would say to Scott is you have a unique opportunity to spend time with the men and women in your church and show them how that faith and work is integrated 
in a way that will be a much more significant impact that you could have made just in the workplace and how you weave that into your, your preaching and your teaching and your discipleship of them. And you send them out with that calling, commission, community type of theology of work. That's where you're going to make an impact. Okay, next question over here. Uh, hi, my name is Logan. Um, I don't recall your name, but I'll always remember this chapel as the guy that looks like Matt Damon. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you, mentioned, you mentioned earlier Sunday to Monday, Monday to Sunday kind of flowing seamlessly. Is that correct? In a sense yes. of, uh, okay, I, may, I, I think I'm tracking with you, but I had a conversation with Dr. Hatterberg a while back kind of about this, and he approached, he told me, gave me advice to approach seminary and all the different compartments of my life is one big box, my quiet time, my marriage, my ministry, and then kind of drawing from that. Is that what you're kind of talking about as seamlessly flowing um, kind of from workplace with ministry involved? Uh, does that make any sense <laughs> to you? Do you understand what yeah. I'm asking? Yeah, I'm, I'm understanding completely. I'm waiting for Daryl to give oh, an example. Okay. Go, go. All right, the awkward silence. Go. Okay, so it, this, um, and so... Well, I know exactly. Is, is Dr. Bailey still in the room? Yeah. yeah, he is. Okay, so he, and, and I forget which class it was, he drew up on the on the board the the circle, the balloon, where he had work and church ministry and family. Is he nodding his head or is he, am I crazy? Yeah, he's still, he's, okay. he, he's still a happy camper. Keep going. Okay, and, and what he said, what he said in, in, I can't remember which class that was, but what he said was, sometimes your balloon's going to be pushed this way, more pressure here, but it's going to come back to the center. Sometimes it's pushed to here. And I had always heard seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness as kind of a hierarchical order. And that illustration just rocked my world because I said, no, it's not a hierarchical order. It's a unified, um, integrated reality that flows out of my identity in Christ. It's who I am by grace through faith in Christ alone. It's going to manifest itself differently in those spheres of influence that the Lord places me in. And that, that illustration was as impactful as Dr. Kreider's this semester on an integrated understanding of the atonement, which I don't have time to, to go into. But those types of theological concepts for Logan, um, take out the hierarchy. Is Dr. Bailey still nodding, or am I no longer a student? <laughs> there is a smile on his face, okay? Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, the, the integration is, is, is the point, that your life is not siloed, it's not ranked. God, God has given each one of us a unique network. There is no one in this room whose sense of contacts and associations is the same with the person sitting next to them. God has you in unique places, uniquely relating to people in unique ways. And when you see your life through that lens and say, that is my ministry, um, it changes the way you think about your work and your associations. What I love about Steve is, is that he talks about having a mega church of 4,000 people. Okay, He's talking about his workplace. Mm -hmm. And so um, that is an integrated view of life, which means that he never, he never takes off his kingdom hat. His kingdom hat is always on, no matter where he is, no matter what he's doing, no matter who he's seeing, you know? And, and, th and that is, I think, the way God wants us to see our lives. Over here, 
Steve, I'm uh, Boris. I've been in the Army for about 30 years in a bivocational ministry, and just wondering what type of issues is your sharing Christ and integrating those things um, with other world religions that Army's obviously got a lot of different world religions and nominations in it, but is there any tension there in your corporate workplace? And then when you're abroad, how have you been able to, to integrate your faith with uh, the customs and religions of other countries? Uh, thank you for your service. I'm a kind of a military brat. My dad was 20 years in the Air Force, so I know from an Army guy, you don't consider us being in the military, but my dad was... <laughs> We were actually in the military, um, so I appreciate that. So multiculturally, I've been around the world for a lot of a lot of different reasons. But yet, the answer to your question is yes, and yes. What I find <laughs> is that love transcends culture. What I mean by that is, right now, I say this again. I probably say it five more times. Evangelism today in the workplace is by invitation. So um, when the Tragedy occurred two offices down. I was doing my quiet time, 5.30 a.m. I got a text message that one of my coworkers' son, 17 years old, um, died. And I walked in the next morning as the pastor. And uh, we called the leaders together. We got in my office. Um, there are five or six of us. We wept. Um, we hugged each other. And um, I let us, I, we prayed. And uh, I closed my door. I spent time in the Word, and I called our office together and had to walk down in the conference room. And with a backdrop of a secular culture, comfort these people who are dealing with a very heavy, heavy loss. And love transcends all of that. It transcends the religious barriers, the religious boundaries. And at the end of the day, and this comes, is Dr. Kreider in the room? Is Kreider yes, there? he is. Uh, he just waved his hand, so he says okay, hello. So, yeah, this is what really was a big impact. I mean, this the soteriology class this semester rocked my world. It saved you, right? You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, but, but his emphasis on, on the resurrection, and that's where I went during this meeting. Obviously, 1 Corinthians 15 was, was the text. But in that given situation, that and then the continued ministry opportunities that we have had as a company to him, because candidly, you know, the pastor and the church and everybody who came together around the family at the beginning, they've gone away. Mm -hmm. He's going to be working with me, Lord willing, the next 10 or 15 years, and I have the chance to continue to minister to he and, I'm not going to say names, but he and his family through this, through this process. As I travel abroad, what I find, and this was... Uh, Dr. Hannah and I had dinner with two DTS grads, one in Dublin and one in Oxford. The one in Oxford um, ministers exclusively to Muslims. He, he's amazing. Um, his name is Dr. Smalls. But uh, he's finding the window way open with the Muslim community in Europe. Uh, so that was very encouraging. Yeah, I, 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 I think we underestimate how important it is to understand and appreciate um, other religious traditions and the way they work for people. I find if I ask questions about a person's religious experience and get to know them through mm -hmm. that lens, I actually open the door to real co significant conversations about what drives people in life. Yeah. And through that, then you have the opportunity. So rather than worrying about, oh, they're in the wrong box, Yep. I'm actually in a situation where I'm, let me get to know this person 
see what drives them, why they find this religious experience meaningful, etc. And then I'm thinking about what is it about the Christian experience that can step into that and offer even something more than what they may be getting now, that kind of thing. Daryl, that's go ahead. dead on. May I make one comment on Yeah, sure. That's dead on. And listening is one very critical aspect to evangelism and really hearing where that person is coming from. Yeah. Our time is up, Steve. Let me have our uh, group uh, thank you for taking time with us. We do, we do a faith and work chapel every semester. We do it because we think this part of the day is so absolutely significant and that the silence of the church in addressing people with this day builds a secular sacred divide that is actually um, uh, harmful to real discipleship. So I'm hoping you're, you're catching the bug uh, of what we are, of what, and the disease that we are trying to spread here. Some diseases are not worth spreading, but this one is. Let me close this in a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you that you have made us in, our, in, in your image to image you, to image you in the places where you have us, uh, not just on Sunday, not just on Wednesday night, but in the middle of the day, from week to week, month to month, year to year, venue to venue. And our prayer is, is that as we teach and as we preach and as we live, that we will show your presence where you have us. Help us to do this well by your Spirit. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Daryl. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. For more podcasts like this one, visit dts.edu slash the table. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well.